In September of this year, yeah, six weeks, seven weeks time, London City Presbyterian Church is due what is called a presbytery oversight visit. A presbytery oversight visit. This is where uh, a number of ministers and elders uh, from north of the border, scary Scottish men, uh, will come south and will uh, come and speak and meet uh, with the congregation here in London. Now, because we've got a presbytery oversight visit, I have spent much of the last few weeks filling in forms. Nothing but forms and forms and forms and forms. Now, these forms, they kind of go two different directions. Uh, one direction, the, the forms basically are asking, what's London City Presbyterian Church all about? What happens in the congregation? So there's a lot of questions to do with that. But there's another sort of direction it goes as well, and it's more like, what do we hope to see happen? at London City Presbyterian Church over the next few months and few years. So Presbytery asking, what do we hope to see happen? See that second question? That's what I'd like to lay before you just now. Spiritually speaking, what do we hope to see happen? London City Presbyterian Church over the next number of months, number of years. What, what, what do we hope... We're going to witness in this congregation, spiritually speaking. Can, can I be so bold as to, to dare to suggest an answer to that question? Do we not want to see spiritual zeal? Is that not about cover it? Is that not the longing of our heart? That we want to see, I think personally, but also corporately, we want to see an end to the, the apathy that so often blights the Christian walk. Isn't that right? We want to see kind of move from spiritual indifference to spiritual interest, from passivity to, to passion, I guess. In short, what do we want to see? We want to see the Holy Spirit transforming people's lives. Isn't that what we want to see at London City Presbyterian Church? See tonight that portion of scripture that Adrian read? That's what we witness. Like in First Samuel chapter 7, uh, the people of Israel, they go from a place of almost unimaginable apathy towards God... They go from that, and by the end of it, they are passionately, enthusiastically walking uh, with God. So tonight, in the short time that we've got together, really just want to ask, how does that happen? Like, that's a, that's a dramatic change in just a short period of time. How does this come about? The first thing that I think we've got to notice here is the method of spiritual return. That's the first thing, the method of spiritual return. Now, I could uh, make my life really easy here, I think. I could say to you, the method of spiritual return in 1 Samuel chapter 7 is repentance. <laughs> and then we can move on to point two. Uh, because that's what happens. Like The people experience real spiritual invigoration here, and it comes because they repent of sin. We could put a full stop in that, and we could just move on. Maybe that's what you want to happen but that's not what's going to happen. Because I think that despite the fact that we talk an awful lot, in certainly in reformed circles, 
we talk an awful lot about this idea of repentance. I actually think that maybe we need to deepen our knowledge of exactly what repentance is from a biblical point of view. So what really we're thinking about here is, right, okay, we've got repentance in 1 Samuel 7. What does that look like? What does it mean? What does it involve? Actually, true, godly, biblical repentance. What is it? The first thing that we see about it is that repentance is more than sorrow. More than sorrow. Would you do this with me? Would you look at verse 2? Maybe if you've, like, I know that some of you have not been here for the sermon series. What's happened in the background here is that the Ark of the Covenant has been captured by the Philistines. And then God has afflicted them with great illness and they have returned the Ark of the Covenant. And then look at verse 2. Verse 2 is incredible. Because we're told that upon the return of the Ark, it comes back. And what do they do? They basically ignore it. Look at that. Look at this. For 20 years, the Ark of the Covenant is not at the center of the worship of the people of Israel. That's amazing. That's a ridiculous thing. 20 years. It's just ignored. Now, at the risk of sounding like a counselor, how does that make the people feel? They carry on. So they ignore, basically, the Ark. And we're told that they lamented after the... The Lord, now do you see what that means? It means that here, although they have not repented, the repentance comes a little bit later, although they haven't turned back to God, do you see how they're feeling? They know that things with God are not right. So there's sadness, there's sorrow, they're lamenting, but they're doing that without actually repenting before God. Now I'll tell you this. I think in that we have a, a, a crucial message for, for us as a church. Because, friends, I think we, there's this mistake that we make as Christians all the time. And it's this. We mistake remorse for repentance. Like We, we mistake sort of regret about sin... We mistake that for, for repentance from sin. Now, I'm sure you understand what I'm talking about, do you? I mean, you know what it's like. We, we sin. Like we, we do terrible things. I'm sure even this week we look back and we can't believe some of the stuff we do. And, and, and as we repeat sin, habitual sin as well. Breathtaking sin. And we're sick about it, aren't we? It's not happened. And, and, and you know, sometimes it brings us to tears. Occasionally we'll pray about it and, and we'll, we'll be praying and it'll be through tear-filled eyes. And what do we think that is? We think that there because we're upset about it. We think it's, it's repentance. We've repented from that sin. And what we see here, it's not like these people were sad for 20 years without repenting. What are we seeing? We're seeing that there is more to repentance than mere sadness and mere sorrow about sin. That takes us to the second thing. We see also that repentance involves turning from sin. 
Because I wonder if you see what, what happens at this point here. A character appears on the scene. <laughs> I don't know what happened. Whether he had a sabbatical, I don't know what, where, an extended holiday, I do not know. But do you see who appears in verse 3? Samuel is back. Samuel's back. After a few chapters of, I don't know where he's been. He's not been about the place. But he's back, and he's back to deal with a problem. Do you see what it is? Look at verse 4. Again, look at it, it's a shocker. The people of Israel have been worshipping Baal and Ashtaroth. Now, again, I see you. Look, if you've been here for this sermon series, isn't that an incredible truth? Like, given what God has done for the people of Israel already, that they could be worshipping the Canaanite gods, is, it's almost beyond belief. Isn't it? But I think if we pause and think about it for a second, we can understand what's happening. Now listen, the worship of these gods, the Canaanite gods, involved a lot of illicit uh, sexual immorality. I've got to watch what I say. <laughs> but there, it involved a lot of debauchery, a lot of immorality. The worship of Baal, the worship of Ashtaroth. Do you see what's happened? They've pushed the ark away. And then these things have become appealing. Haven't they? The people of Israel, they've seen all of this debauchery. They've seen all of this immorality. And it's enticed them. It's attracted them in. Now I think it's what Samuel says to them in verse 3 that's the critical thing. Like He doesn't sugarcoat it. Do you see what he tells them to do? Look at it. He's not pulling any punches to Samuel. He says, put Away this stuff. Like put away the idols. Put away the false gods. Now do you see the lesson that's there for London City Presbyterian Church? Listen, godly repentance, true repentance, always involves action. It always involves activity. Like do we think repentance is just crying? We think it's, it's, it's just feeling bad about sin. It's not. It involves us doing something. Action. And maybe that's pertinent for you tonight, is it? Maybe it's especially pertinent to do with sexual sin. Friend, if you, if you want to put that sin to death, you must understand this. You need, it needs to be more than crying and weeping and sorrow. Friends, God wants you to take action to do so in the power of the Holy Spirit that indwells your heart. God says to you, verse 3, put that stuff away. Put away the idols. Put away the false gods. And the third element we see here is that repentance also involves turning to God. I was thinking a lot about this uh, this week. When I became a Christian, I spoke to uh, my friends individually, all of my friends. I spoke to them about Jesus. And nearly to a man, uh, they all wanted nothing to do with me and thought I was just crazy for talking to them about Jesus. Uh, With the exception of a couple, um, one of the blokes that I spoke to he came to see me afterwards one evening and he came to see me and he was speaking about becoming a Christian 
And as I sort of uh, think back on that, he definitely ticked the two boxes that we've just talked about. The idea of sorrow, man, I'd never seen anything like this. Like we sat opposite each other and he was crying his eyes out. And like he was genuinely upset and he was upset about his standing before God. No question. And see the idea, the second idea, the idea of turning away from sin, he was kind of nailing it, you know, this life of drugs that he was involved in at the time. Like he knew that, he didn't know just that it was wrong, but he knew that it was wrong and an offence against God. And you know, he never, as far as I know, became a Christian. Never professed faith. And I think it's because he did not do this third thing that Samuel calls for here, which you see in verse 3. And just Samuel says to these people, he says, direct your heart to the Lord. So do you see what he's saying? He's saying you're not just to feel sorry about sin. You're not just to turn away from sin. You have to turn to the Lord. You have to turn to God exclusively in worship and praise. Do you understand? Repentance is not just about action. It's about actively pursuing this triune covenant God. And again, I'm saying, what do we want to see at London City Presbyterian Church? Like, What do we want to see when Marquetta starts here? What do we want to see when the new academic year starts? Maybe these people who are away, they come back from, from holiday. What, what, do, what do we want to see? Is, the, is it the Holy Spirit at work? Well, let's not do what they did. Like 20 years wasted in apathy. Let's not, let's, let's not do, let's not make that mistake. Let's not just be sorry about our sin and sad about what we're, no, let's do eventually what they did here. Let's turn as a congregation away from our sin and let us turn to Jesus. Let's turn to the Lord. Because what do you see? You see a people repent. And it leads to total renewal. Is that not what we need at London City Presbyterian Church? So we see the method. The second thing that we see in this chapter of Scripture is the mediation of the spiritual leader. The mediation of a spiritual leader. Um, It's a dangerous thing to go away from LCPC on holiday because the chances are I'm going to talk about you behind your back when that happens. And Callum's gone away on holiday. So I'm going to talk about Callum behind his back. But uh, when Callum professed faith and uh, joined the church a few months ago, uh, one of uh, my friends uh, phoned up because he'd heard the news and uh, he phoned up to say how delighted he was. You know, what a wonderful thing. And he said that he'd be praying for the congregation. But he said he'd be praying for the congregation because he wondered how the devil would try and get in and oppose the work. Maybe that sounds strange to you, but I think if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you understand what he meant. When the Holy Spirit is operational in great power, he is often not the only one at work. Isn't that right? When the Holy Spirit is at work, it's that that the devil is seeking to destroy things, to rip things up, to oppose the work of the church. And isn't that what we see 
in 1 Samuel chapter 7. Because you've got this situation, verse 4, one of my favorite verses, this the idea of repentance, beautiful scene. They turn away from the gods, they, they turn to the living God. You've got that scene. Then Samuel gathers everyone together, the logistics, who knows how it works. He gathers all of the people of, of Israel together at Mizpah, and what happens? There's all this renewal, there's all this spiritual vibrancy. What happens? Guess what happens? There's opposition. Verse 7, you're told that the, the Philistines hear about this gathering of the people of God. They hear about it. What do they do? They get the army ready. They, they send out the army ready for a fight. Now, here we go. Here's the test. If you've been here, <laughs> if you've been here for the sermon series, what I'm hoping is happening right now is that there's this just wash of deja vu that is washing over you. I wonder if that's happened to anyone here. What we're supposed to see is the parallel, the similarities between this and what happened in chapter 4. That's the way it's written that we're supposed to think about the parallels. Now, I'll tell you what happened in chapter 4. In chapter 4, exactly the same thing happened. The Philistines, they muster their army. They threaten Israel. They advance. They draw up the battle lines just like this. And we're supposed to see the similarity there so that we notice the difference in reaction. I wonder, does anyone remember how the people of Israel responded in chapter 4? Do you remember Lucky Charm theology? Do you remember it? What did they do? They called for the ark. The Philistines threatened them, so what did they think? Let's let's get a bit of temple furnishing and let's put our hope in that. What do they do here? Do you see what they do? Verse 8. They cry out to God. That's what they do. Verse 9. What do they do? They make offerings to God. It's beautiful. It's none of this calling for a bit of temple furnishing. They're trusting. They're looking to, to God. They have learnt their lesson. Now, if you are sleepy just now, please don't sleep before you hear this next thing. If you hear nothing else tonight, listen to this. What is supremely noticeable in 1 Samuel chapter 7 is how completely reliant the people were on their God-given mediator. Because I've just told you a fib (laughs) I said that the people cry out to God, that they pray. Look again at verse 8. That's not right, is it? They get Samuel to do it on their behalf. And I said that, what did I say? That the people made a burnt offering to God. They don't. Look again, verse 9. What's the point? They get Samuel to do it. Do you see the people here? Utterly completely dependent on this intermediary that God has given them. And I know, you know what I'm going to say. We can't help but read this chapter of scripture and think of the priestly work of our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that right if you're a Christian in here? You read about this work and what do you think? What has Christ done for us in the past? He's not just given a burnt offering. What has he done? He's laid down his own life as that atoning sacrifice for sin. What does he do tonight? This is a great thought. What is Jesus doing for us tonight? Like this. He's praying for us. 
<laughs> tonight. Just now in heaven, the Lord Jesus praying and praying for you. We can't read this, not think about the Lord Jesus Christ. But I also think we're shown here what we at London City Presbyterian Church must do. See, when September comes and October comes and the new year comes, what should we be doing in this church? We should be doing this. We should be seeking greater reliance on our God-given mediator. That really increasing dependence on the Lord Jesus Christ should be the great characteristic of this church. And do you know what? Sometimes it's not. Where is our hope as a congregation? Is it in Jesus Some of us, I think, are hoping in the change that Marquetta might bring when she starts and staff here. Some of us are hoping for the work of the Golden Lanes Estate. Some of us are hoping for the house groups to change and improve. Our hope may be in our elders or our our deacons. That's fine. But isn't it all to the neglect of our greatest need? What is it that London City Presbyterian Church needs? We need Jesus. We desperately need Jesus. If we are going to experience spiritual blessing in the coming years as we move forward, then starting tonight, we need to look ever more to the one who stands between God and ourselves. We need to look to Christ Jesus. I wonder, are you ready to do that? Are you ready to take up that challenge? And then we'll close with a third thing. The method, the mediation, the memory of spiritual aids. I love the way that this chapter ends. It ends in such a positive fashion, doesn't it? It's beautifully positive. Because, first of all, the people of Israel are victorious. God hears Samuel's prayer. God not only hears, he responds to the prayer. And God thunders and he destroys the Philistines. So you have that. Then you also have the summary of Samuel's ministry, this fruitful ministry that he has amongst the people of Israel. It's so uplifting. Honestly, it's it's a beautiful thing. It's so positive. But I want to end with this memorial that Samuel sets up. Did you see it in verse 12? He raises up a stone, a stone that he gives a name. It's the Ebenezer stone. Ebenezer stone. Now, as you've heard me say a million times, let's not get this, let's not get it wrong. Because we could think of this memorial just in the, just like the memorials that we set up in our towns and our villages right throughout the United Kingdom. You know the ones that will sit in the center of a village lest we forget. Now you understand this is nothing like that. Those memorials are to the fallen, aren't they? To the war dead. And what is this about? The people of Israel are to look at this stone and remember the assistance, remember the aid, remember the help of Almighty God. Now, it's not just the help that God has given them with the Philistines. They are to look at this stone and to look back. 
They're to look back to the covenant that God has set up with Abraham. Look back to the deliverance out of Egypt. Look back to the help in the wilderness. Look back at it, across it all. Don't you think? Don't you think that you, you and me, don't you think we should follow suit? Personally speaking, can't you, even tonight as a Christian, can't you look back on your life and see the help and the assistance that God has given you? Can you look back in your life and see the goodness and grace of God? Can't you do that personally? Can we even do it corporately this evening? As members of London City Presbyterian Church, can we not look back on the last weeks and months and years and rejoice in the goodness and the faithfulness and the mercy and the love, the assistance that God has provided us? We can do it personally. We can do it corporately by end with this. Obvious question. Where do we see God's assistance most clearly is his people. Tonight, can we not look back to Calvary Hill? And I think as we move forward a London City Presbyterian Church, I think it is surely the cross that must be our focus. It must be the, the, the cross that is our motivation. It must be the cross that spurs us on. Because what did Paul read earlier on? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. He's done that. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Do you see it? We look back on that saving help. And what do we know as a congregation? If God's done that, the cross, then he surely has a plan to spiritually prosper his people. Isn't that right? Isn't it? Friends, let's move forward at LCPC. Let's move forward focused on Jesus, conscious of the cross. But let us, even tonight, move forward rejoicing in the saving assistance of the Lord God Almighty. Let's pray.